You know, it was a small town by a small river and a small lake in a small northern part of a Midwest state. There wasn't so much wilderness around you, you couldn't see the town. But on the other hand, there wasn't so much town, you couldn't see and feel and touch and smell the wilderness. The town was full of trees and dry grass and dead flowers now that autumn was here and full of fences to walk on and sidewalks to skate on and a large ravine to tumble in and yell across. And the town was full of boys and it was the afternoon of Halloween and all the houses shut against a cool wind and the town was full of cold sunlight. But suddenly the day was gone. Night came out from under each tree and spread. Well, that's Ray Bradbury from the Halloween tree, and that's just to get you in the mood for this episode of Mysterious Goings On. Hi, it's me, Alex. Good to have you back. I am very excited to be joined by an eminence from my municipality, my area, uh, my neck of the woods. I am joined today. Our guest is going to be Mark Groves. Mark is the guy behind Magnificent Cowlick Media. He is an author. He is a podcaster. He He's a lot of things. We're going to find out about him and about his work, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some fun Halloween subjects, particularly in the uh, Kansas City area that uh, I uh, hail from. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mark Groves. Mark, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Well, thank you, Alex. Glad to be here. What a wonderful uh, introduction with a kiss of Ray Bradbury in there. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> I, I hoped you would appreciate that. I'm so glad you did. I, I really love Ray. You know, it's when I was a kid reading The Halloween Tree and, and just all of his stuff, you know, there's just something I could smell the leaves change when Ray wrote about Halloween. It's so true about the cold sunlight, the fact that, you know, you've got all this sunshine and yet you're still wearing a jacket. And uh, uh, what a nice uh, uh, twist. In fact, uh, Ray Bradbury, not not plugging, just saying, uh, the first book that I ever did with, along with several other writers, we based the kind of style of how the book and it was a book slash anthology went along on Ray Bradbury's um, The uh, Illustrated Man, one of my favorites. Oh my so, goodness. Good taste, you. Good taste. Well, thank <laughs> you. Uh, you know, I would like to thank the fact that I, and I confess, I, I've, I've purchased your work, and I, but I just haven't got into it fully yet before our interview. I hate to say that because normally I'm the guy that most people at the guests go, oh my God, you actually read the book. But, <laughs> but I think I've got a good idea, and I, and I want you to understand something that I will read it and I will talk about it further. But I, I kind of felt like, you know, we met years ago, just a step back. We met years ago because I got called in for God knows why to fill in for a little local show when one of the hosts couldn't show up. I filled in for a whole 10 minutes. There was, I, I remember telling after meeting you and you were the engineer and running or producing it. And I just said, why didn't you just have Mark sit down and do this? I'm a bit of a chatty Kathy between the takes, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no, but, you're, but you're good at it. <laughs> My God, man, you're so good at it. So I was I was just like, okay, fine. But I I remember that and I filed that away and then we kind of we didn't really keep up but then I was talking to uh, Mary McKenna who listeners might recall is the uh, first Mary. guest good old Mary first guest of the yeah, season four good. of the show and uh, she kicked off the season and did a great job and I, I was chatting with her and I said oh my gosh you know I took a, I'm taking a break but when we re, we get going again I want somebody who can 
uh, be fun for Halloween. And she said, well, what about Mark, you idiot? And I went, oh, my God, of course. Because <laughs> that's he's how Mary creepy. talks to me. He's creepy and funny, and he's a better talker than anybody. Get him on here. And so here I am, and I was so thrilled. And um, you're a busy guy, and I, I don't want to, like, dox you or anything, but you're, you're, you're by, you know, by day, you're very involved in radio production, that kind of work. Is that about right? That's absolutely right. Uh, where I work, Intercom Broadcasting, uh, we've got the eight-station cluster here in Kansas City. And as radio is evolving, and uh, by evolving, it's tightening, becoming a smaller-knit group of uh, people that do a lot of stuff for everything across the country. We're now the production department that I head up. We now do production for nine radio markets uh, across the nation, well, mainly and then heading east. So we do production for the intercom stations here in Kansas City, in St. Louis, uh, Rochester, Madison, Milwaukee, blah, 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 blah. Wow. So we, uh, yeah, we, we sell a lot of lawnmowers in the day. <laughs> and and when... not to get into leaf blowers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bound. <laughs> conveniently located, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ray Bradbury, I don't know how he would have felt about leaf flowers because he wrote so uh, wonderfully about the leaves changing. So let me ask you something. If, for people who just don't know, real quick, though, when they talk about what you do, production and those things, what does that exactly mean? Are you helping? Are you cutting spots? Are you producing shows? What are you doing? At the, uh, at the, the group that I work with, we do all of that and are even working into uh, starting to record podcasts kind of, you know, real podcasts versus just, you know, replaying radio shows. Right. But uh, we do all of it from radio theater to the straight up, hey, Kansas City, do you like to save money on a new car type of spots? Uh, do you need a screaming one? Do you need one soft spoken, et cetera? It, hmm. The part that, that juices me about it, the ability, there's that thespian part of me that i i never really nurtured because i kind of sucked on stage oh but i could get behind a microphone and then have that confidence and just be whoever and be wherever and then uh like i moons and moons ago 20 odd years ago i helped start radio disney at the abc radio networks in dallas and that was so fun that was all radio theater all theater of the mind oh man and just you know Almost no holds barred. Just be as creative as you could. Have fun with it. Edutainment all the way to just out there stuff. So good. And then that uh, that stained me. And I'm like, no, nope, I'll never go back to being a DJ again. This is this is where I belong. And uh, it's where I've stayed for uh, 35 years. And Radio Disney, I now I I didn't come to it till later until it was in this market. I knew Bob Martin, who was a general manager of the local station and some of the other folks there, but it was not the same thing. It was more about kind of the, the pop tarts and playing their music and things like that. So when you were with Radio Disney, so you're saying it was more of a theater of the mind. There was storytelling going on. We had like uh, the magic kids theater started that, which was episodic. So you would start like a six to 10 minute. And if I wrote it, it was 13. And then my boss yelled at me and it became eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> overwrite me? No, why? <laughs> but um, I, we, we would start a story and then leave it with a cliffhanger and say, what happens next? And then kids could call in and we would pick a phone call and then uh, call you know, like 1-888-ALL-EARS or something like that. And we would pick one of the phone calls, then bam, on Monday, write a uh, six to eight minute episode based off the phone call 
continue the story with a cliffhanger. What happens next? And kids got to participate. Wow. That was just one of so many things. One of my favorites was Gross Me Out, <laughs> which was all about gross things in the world. Uh, I wrote one based upon myself and a friend of mine named Paul. Uh, I won't use his last name. It was down in Branson, Missouri, where I grew up. Paul and I were just the misfits of the neighborhood. I was fat and smart. And the Lord decided that all Paul needed was a heartbeat because he didn't get really much of anything else at the time. <laughs> oh, this overbite that was just amazing. And then he even had the glasses that made his eyes seem like they were like bug eyes. Oh, my. Okay. Um, the uh, the character. Oh, what's his? I can't remember the name of the uh, the comedian from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, the, oh. the thinner uh, character with the bull haircut. Oh, uh, Jim Carrey's character, right? Yeah, Jim Carrey's character. That's what Paul looked like. Oh, wow. So the two of us, I took, I switched the personalities in the bodies because I was the big fat kid and he was super thin. And I switched our personalities and we did a thing called Bud and, or I wrote a thing called Bud and Iggy, which allowed kids, it was a contest for kids to guess where we are. We would end up in places and I would give out these really easy, stupid, you know, softball clues. But I did both of the voices and did so many of the episodes that I mean, it's totally sorry, totally side note, but I loved doing that one because it was this memory of Paul and I walking around the neighborhood and imagining all the places we could be. Right. We would just talk and walk for three hours, just he and I, because we were <laughs> there was no one else to hang with. And then uh, and just imagine where we could be. So Paul and I got to more or less do it again as Bud and Nate. Imagine the places where we could be all across the world, Paris, etc., driving around in our little VW bug. We were 16, quote unquote, uh, in the in the episodes. And from that on, anything we, we did stuff with American Girl, uh, bringing some of their books to life, got mm -hmm. to talk to R.L. Stein, oh which my. was really cool, super nice guy. And I mean, why wouldn't you be? He had all the money in the world. Right. But he was just super nice. And we were talking about adapting one of his books and approaching it, et cetera. That didn't end up going through. But it was so, it was three years of some of the most creative radio that I ever did. And then I, uh, uh, after moving on from there, had, you know, stayed in the production commercial side. But I've always had that tendency to go for for the theater aspect of it. There's so much you can do with audio. You can play with it. You can move it around. You can you can do things with a listener. And sometimes radio in its rush to get advertisements on the air and also, especially after 2008 when the bottom dropped out of the economy. Right. And suddenly, you know, we've got to get every time this commercial plays, we need 10 sales. It, it changed the dynamics of the approach to commercials. And that's when you started really every stop set was just selling, 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 selling. And it's kind of gotten back to it a little bit now where a, a stop set, a, a commercials, you know, all the commercials played in a row, where some of them can capture you again right. and, and speak to you instead of at you. And that's the part of it I love. Well, it, it's well, it's evident in your passion. And, you know, it's interesting to me. It's kind of similar to uh, in the way of writing for the Internet and things like that. For the longest time, it was like, OK, yeah, if you're going to write stuff that's going to get picked up by the search engines, you've got to, like, repeat yourself this many times. You've got to repeat oh, the yes. same phrase. Right. You've got to do this little formula and it's got to be this, this and this and blah, blah, blah. And the whole idea of storytelling was thrown out the freaking window. And yep. then, and then I was never so happier than a few years ago, and it was like Google has decided the algorithm is bullshit, and we are going to just let people tell stories. <laughs> and if you're authentic and you're writing as a real human being, you're gonna 
guess what? You're going to succeed. And that's what's real. And that's what I think I'm hearing from what you're saying now is maybe radio is kind of going back to, hey, yeah, I understand stop sets. We got to do this, this and this. But maybe the listeners will listen more if we tell them better stories. Amen. Amen. And that's that's what I'm hoping for now. You know, that's that's all hopes and dreams. There are days uh, I call some days are diamonds. Some days are dust. Because uh, some days you're like, I have been touched by the hands of God. Look at what I've created. Listen to his glory. And other days you're just slapping hubcaps on the audio. Just next, 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 next. And, uh, oh, Lord, yeah. You know, That's like podcasting. Do, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, my God, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the big content. There's this big maw of content you have to fill. Like, I've been off for a few weeks. I took a little break in between. This has been the most successful season we've ever done. But I oh, just, nice. yeah, but I just run out of, it's like, I, I, I'm not just going to get on there and monologue. I mean, I want good guests, and I want, if I'm going to monologue, it's got to be about something that's worthwhile. So I just, you know, I've just finally embraced the idea of, like like TV or like a lot of things, you have hiatuses and you have breaks and you don't have to go, you know, every day. I, th- I, I, and I want to ask you that real quick before we get into some other things. But see, I knew this would happen when I had you on. We would start talking about everything. <laughs> You're probably going to have to come back if I don't wear you out. But here's the thing. It's all good. So, all so right. for a podcast though, and you've podcasted and you know, um, I've come around to the idea that I don't, I am not like a, a weekly news magazine. I am more about creating good content with good interviews and saying something that's meaningful. And if that means I'm not on 52 weeks a year, but I'm on, let's say 32 weeks a year or, or 42 weeks a year, that's, that's good enough because what I do bring is, is good. Some people say that ah, you're crazy. You're going to lose audience. And I, and I probably will up and down with that. I have to kind of regain some audience that way, but I just feel like if you're good and you get them subscribing, when you come back, they'll still be there. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it, I think content is king. Mm-hmm. You can have people that uh, come in and they can just talk, 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 talk. Hey, look, we did an hour. We're done. Good. And people, I think the audiences these days can sniff out most of the inauthenticity yeah. of conversation. You can tell when people are stretching. And I think they would much rather be impact or uh, get to enjoy something that one, obviously the host is into and then two, that's interesting to them. And since getting podcasts is, is you click on some, is it to you whenever there's a new one? Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, how easy is that? Right. That's not brain surgery. You don't have to go and go, oh my God, is my next, uh, they didn't <laughs> give me one this week. I, I, nobody cares. I mean, there's 30 other, 50 other podcasts that, they're, that they've got in their list at the same time. So they're not, they're not gonna stop listening to podcasts. And yours will pop in. It's not like, you know, Destination TV. Right, uh, right. At least in my humble opinion. I agree. And, uh, yeah. They With with the, the large amount, as long as more are coming, if you're going to go a year, yeah, you're probably going to lose them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's good to know because I'm just deciding on let's i i'm just getting more and more because i did that for a while when we first started i was really excited had a good head of steam apple gave us uh, you know a new and noteworthy designation it was really nice and i and i did great in the first year year and year and a half it was great but then after a while i was just burning out and i realized uh-huh. i am putting a lot of self-indulgent crap on here and maybe that's not so good and my downloads were showing it so anyway so it's good that's why it's circling back that's why it's great for my listeners. Hi, listeners. We're still here. But that's, why it's, that's why it's so we great to have a, a great guest like you. So let's talk a little bit beyond your work then. Let's talk a little bit about sure. the writing side of it. So folks, just so you know, 
and I, and I need to ask you more about this, but just I'll just kind of go from your bio for a second here, though. So besides the fact that you've written thousands of commercials and promo pieces and radio theater scripts, as we've touched on, but you, you also write plays and short stories, novels, mm-hmm. songs, and poetry. You edit stories and, and you do all these things. It's all part of magnificent cowlick media. Um, and you've got several titles under that. Tell us a little bit about Magnificent Cowlick, besides the fact that I also, by the way, have a Magnificent Cowlick, so I'm just thrilled to meet a fellow Cowlicker. So please, go on. What is this all about? Well, the uh, uh, Magnificent Cowlick medium, uh, every jubby, hairy production guy in radio has his own, you know, little side company inside, and I do freelance work and voiceover, and this and and I had several different names for it. It started as Audio Inc. O D D I O, comma I N K. Oh, that's cutesy. Nobody knows what the heck it is, <laughs> and, and I'm like, they didn't get it because I'm I'm talking. It's not stupid. So what do I do? But I come up with a company name that's even longer, and a pain in the ass to type. But um, I, as I was looking at all these different things, I didn't want it to sound normal because I'm not. And I wanted to at least reflect part of me so that anybody approaching uh, me for uh, whether I'm writing a commercial for them or doing this, especially my freelance gigs, I wanted them to know that I come at it from the creative angle and from a slightly different angle, not uh, your corporate you know, media uh, communications. And um, I, this, I have this, okay, yeah. I have this picture of me when I was four years old and my mom, I, I was just, oh God, you, you look at this picture and you're like, you are the most rotten little S in the world. <laughs> you, what is wrong with this kid? Cause I'm just scowling at the camera. I've got this kind of Dean Martin into, you know, his eighth martini kind of look on my face. <laughs> and the story from my mom, I'd been, you know, throwing a fit and crying cause this God was my witness. I was not going to have my picture taken. And I've got this little yellow shirt with a little sailboat on the breast and a little black bow tie. And my mom did my hair in this kind of 50s little grease back, you know, do. And she butch waxed on the back of my head, sticking straight up. It's pointing right at the sky with pride and honor. And I I saw that and I'm like, this, the top of this head has to be my logo. And my wife and I fought. She's a fantastic graphic designer. And she's I like, I need, I need more cowlick. She's like, no, no, and I'm, no, baby. I need more cowlick. <laughs> Oh, Mark, please, no, honey, more cow leg. And so we finally, we fought back and forth, and we this curly, whacked-out cow lick, I'm like, that's it, golden. She's like, oh, my God. So um, we, we found our middle ground, and that became Magnificent Cow lick Media. And then I, I work with various clients, um, and, you know, they change throughout the years. I just, this, oh, this wonderful client I had out of uh, San Angelo, Texas, if you uh, have been driving into Sonic Drive-Ins for the past 20 years... Oh, I, I, probably, dude, I'm from Oklahoma City. That's ground zero for Sonic. Yep. Um, they, uh, uh, Sonic Radio was done by this company called Studio Stream in San Angelo, and just a fantastic group of people with this crazy idea, and they made it happen. And so I've been selling people toaster sandwiches and, oh. and you know orders of tots and uh, jumbo popcorn chicken for uh, eight, uh, roughly 20 years. And now the, the company itself has been bought out and is being dissolved, which just breaks my heart. This is the last month that you'll be able to hear me when you go in. So, I, I, so wait, I, wait, I didn't, I did not know this going in. You're, you're the voice of Sonic radio. 
I I do uh, imaging for it. Yeah, I have oh uh, for God. twenty some odd years. So. Oh my God! <laughs> I probably sold you a, a brand new Chacamato Sunday or whatever their latest uh, delicious creation. More was. more than I should admit to. Oh my God! <laughs> but uh, the magnificent Calic Media. I've been doing that, and then. Uh, back in 2012, I've been part of a writer's group here in Kansas City called the Dead Horse Society. And even it's gone through its own permutations, and it got super huge, and it's such a blah, blah, blah. But with this group of writers, one of the things about writers is that they're always working on something. Yep. It's not so often they're finishing something, <laughs> doing it, working on it. And um, we were getting to that point, and I... Finally, we said, my God, we've got all these people here, and we approach uh, horror and sci-fi and this and that. It was a uh, speculative fiction group, so it's all about you know fantasy, sci-fi, and horror. And I, I, I was like, well, let's let's do this. Let's come up with some ideas. And we were bandying about ideas for an anthology. And I was like, I work at you know Entercom uh, ninety-eight nine. The Rock does Rock Fest right. almost every year. Uh, this past year they didn't, but they did it for, you know, what, 20, 25 years, 27 yeah. years, something like that. Right. And I hadn't been to it. I'd worked at, I've worked at Intercom here in Kansas City for 18 years now. And the first nine years I never went. And people are like, what's wrong with you? You've got to go to Rockfest. I'm like, well, the music's cool, but it's really kind of not my gig and blah, blah, blah. And finally I was like, oh, okay, free beer, food, yeah, music. Okay. Because I worked there. <laughs> so I get to get in the VIP tent. Winner! Right. I finally went, and it was the coolest thing ever. We're standing on this little stage watching. Uh, that's pretty far away from the main stage, but it's got a great view. It's uplifted. And I'm I'm looking at, there was a gentleman in uh, tan pants, khaki pants, and he had a blue blazer on and a white shirt, you know, with a, the starch collar, et cetera, and short hair, and he's holding this beer. And there's a guy next to him with multicolored hair and a ripped-up T-shirt and enough uh, metal in his face to build a Yugo are doing that kind of head bob. They're just rocking hard together to the band that was on the stage, and they are from such different worlds, but this rock concert brought them together and made them kind of brothers in what was going on. And I'm like, this is just... This is cool. And it went, ding, wait a minute. We've got all these different writers right. who do everything differently. But what about, what if they wrote about people going to a rock concert? Oh, yeah. And the things that happened to them. And I want, I wanted all the stories to come out of the Midwest because uh, the Midwest deserves some attention. There's even, what is it, uh, Midwestern got, Noir, Ozark Noir. There, that, oh, yeah. And there's mid, there used to be Midwest Gothic, I think, too. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So, um, with all of that in mind, I launched, I, I set this out in front of the group and I said, okay, here are 14 just popped into my head and here's uh, how it would work. And then I would write like kind of a interstitial connective tissue, much akin to what we mentioned earlier, uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, The Illustrated Man, where it's the tattoos right. and that campfire that connect each of the stories and makes it move along. And we all went, okay, bam, let's do this. And then it went a little nuts. But uh, it was the grassroots effort. And I set the uh, the concert in Theodosia, Missouri, Isabella, Missouri, actually. My mom owns 24 acres down there, by the way. That's how I, I knew about the area intimately. Uh -huh. so we, uh, uh, we set it all up, got it all writing. Seven different writers wrote stories about uh, people going to the concert and the blah and the blah that happens to them. <laughs> I was writing the interstitial stuff, and I was doing it in my garage over a summer. 
And honest to God, I don't know where that story came pouring out of. It was just supposed to be 10,000 words, 65,000 words later. Whoa. Like, oh, um, so it's a novel um, <laughs> with an anthology in chapter five. And uh, it's one of the few things that I've written that my wife actually played. She doesn't do horror. She does great graphic design, very clean, and she can flow a book like nobody's tomorrow. And when she reads your work, she's really great about pointing out what's wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, at those times when you just really want somebody to cheer for you, it's a little hard. But most of the time it's like, OK, that makes great sense. Thank right, you. Right. She's very smart. Oh, man. And um, with all of us uh, working this thing together, she enjoyed the novel which shocked me and i was like wow even with all the and she's like the people it it's funny because it's rock and roll right and then you hit the uh, the anthology itself in chapter five and those are pretty straight up horror stories even the uh the second the second short short story in the anthology that i wrote um that uh, they're all straight up horror but then you've got the crazy stuff going on in between, and then we wrap it up in chapter six and find out if hell on earth starts in Theodosia, Missouri. So that's a, uh, there are so much that I learned from that because when you don't know that you can't do something, it's really easy to do it. Right. And um, we stepped into it with three editors and seven different authors. Don't ever share editing again yeah, for uh, right. yeah. a specific idea. You really need somebody to hang on to the rudder hard. But that was a learning thing. And also, for the love of God, hire a proofreader. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah. We, uh, we did a grassroots proofreading. And, uh, uh, yeah. So I learned about that. The, uh, the stories are great. I think I, I love the book. It's a bit of a hot mess. But I absolutely love that book. And this is Hell's a Palooza. The best damn. Hell's a Palooza. The best damned rock show ever. Okay. And I. If I, I think that's the one I picked up and I, for my Kindle, and I will be reading that this, this October. I pick three or four <laughs> books to read every October, and, I, and, of course, every night I watch a horror movie on, in October. That's what I do. I'm oh, nice. Oh, man, I'm bleary-eyed. It's like my, my wife and, and 11, now 11-year-old daughter are like, okay, we know what you're doing. Good night. And I'll be up until 2 or whatever, and, yeah, I pay for it later. But it's worth it. It's, it's, it's back to childhood. So I, I understand that, too, and all the writers listening to this show, because this show is foundation as writers, is will all understand – about the proofreading and even if you 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 hire one good proofreader with their hand on the rudder things still slip through and it's it's awful it can be it, it's it's oh, cringe sure. it's it's cringeworthy for you the writers but it, you know what's really sweet is that nine times out of ten if the story's good people really don't care and they don't notice and it's just you move right on and so i'm looking forward to this and so you you did that and you went on from that and you've done you've done a couple other things though right under this uh the aegis of uh magnificent cowlick correct oh sure uh, there was that book, uh, did four more books, four more anthologies. Uh, the, there was Black Buttons, Volume 1, 2, and 3. And the third one was a little more strongly themed with uh, family uh, elements strongly up front. And I kind of expanded things. I, it's, it's hard to be this old and realize how stupid you can be. <laughs> I, I, I really, I swear to God, I, I didn't. I'm so geocentric about the Midwest. To me, the Midwest was um, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, well, actually, Missouri, uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, some of Arkansas until you get really to the southern part, and then that's just the south. And that was pretty much it to me. And then somebody pointed out, to my chagrin, that 
it goes all the way up to Canada, you moron. I'm like, oh my God, what? No, you're lying. And then I looked it up and I even refused to believe Wikipedia. I looked it up on other sites. I was like, oh shit. I have, I have wow. So like in the uh, the third black, all of that, the point of that being that the third Black Buttons book, I opened up, the stories all happen in the Midwest. Right. And that one I opened up to the full Midwest. And I even opened up the authors because originally it was just Midwestern authors and really Kansas City centric. Mm-hmm. And then I realized there's no, the stories are about the Midwest. Let's not worry about where the authors are from. And in uh, Black Buttons Volume 3, there's a wonderful story by a Canadian author yeah. that involves uh, Minnesota and just beautiful and dark and delicious. Well, and, um, so the, that that book and then uh, the only one that's just me is Black Buttons Volume 2, which is a collection of, of my short stories. Oh. All set in the Midwest has one of the favorite ones that I've ever written. That's about a uh, uh, high school prom and uh, <laughs> and a blind date that's a uh, vengeful. So, oh, well, yeah. all right, that's on my list too. You know, I, my friend, uh, my, our, our our listeners will love that. Our Cana- we have some Canadian listeners. In fact, uh, one of our frequent oh. guests, our, our our returning champion guest, is uh, the Canadian. He's a Saskatchewan-based Canadian author, Jason McIntyre, who's who's horror, thriller, and, and dark stuff. Oh my God, he'd be he'd be great for one of your anthologies. So it'll be thrilling nice. to for uh, fans of Jason's who listen to this show. Uh, to listen to come check out these black <laughs> buttons because so so check out the southern part of the midwest a little bit here if you're a, if you're a mcintyre fan and just see what uh what mark and company have in store yeah. for you there oh, bye-bye uh tell them to, tell them to get a hold of me i'll i'll send them a uh a pdf oh very nice very nice yeah, we'll do yeah. hey i'll send it to arthur it's gotta work it out right yeah, I like yeah, that. That's what I'm so let me ask you something about your because I I want to get to Halloween a little bit and I want to talk to you about yes. that. But, so how would you? And I'm so sorry I haven't read everything yet, but I will. But how would you kind of rank your fiction? Is it is it more towards the is it more supernatural fi- horror fiction? Is it more the visceral kind of guts and gore? Is it a little between? Is it is it more gothic? Where, where would you rate it? The stuff that I write is uh, actually oh god I. It is technically horror. If mm. you if you were going to go look in Barnes and Noble, you would find it in the horror uh, section. Right. However, it ranges from just kind of dark tw- uh, with a dark twist fiction all the way up to there. There's one or two where you know, hey, it's a, a, a tent, uh, intestines go awry, and blah blah blah. <laughs> uh, and you've got intestines. You've got it. We've all got intestines. But um, most of them. I try to make them character driven rather than straight up horror driven. I'm not that great at that, uh, at the straight up horror. I have this tendency to throw in a a comedic twist and I don't know what it is about me, but it just happens, uh, for in some of the anthologies there, there's a, an author and she just got married. Shelby Dollar is her name, and she's a wonderful person, a, a great human being, and just adorable. You see these pictures, and you're like, that is the nicest person. And she writes the most, oh, my God, body horror that you <laughs> oh. have. Uh, just, oh, where did that come from? And it's wonderful because you just really don't expect it. Uh, and then you find out you made this and then you sit and joke and laugh with her, drink two beers and you're like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, well, body horror, uh, Jason's fans will know this. I've talked to him about this. He's written some body horror. I cr- I'm just, ah. I mean, um, I, I, I love the movie The Fly, the remake with Jeff Goldblum, but boy, towards oh, the end, yes. man. St- stuff where you're losing control of even your own body and it's being taken over. I, I have a real tough time with stuff like that. And But but I don't get me wrong. I love it, but, oh, yeah. I, but I'm, I am like... I'm like I'm like getting like uh, cramps and Charlie horses and all my muscles from kind of you know recoiling <laughs> permanently while I read it. I like that there's a kind of a there's a there's a full gamut. The, and, the full you know, gamut. You can find stuff to laugh at and then find stuff to go. Oh my god! And uh, uh, even one of the other authors, uh, J. E. Peterson, he's real good about setting up the kind of spooky atmospheric stuff. Ooh. So with all these different uh, abilities. And it's a it's a pleasure and honest to God that they allowed me to edit them was just a pleasure. I learned so much as I went through. You know, I, I just feel kind of lucky that I got to work with all these people. Was there anything on the horizon, anything coming up? There always is. You just never know the um, uh, well, for example, the podcast that I was doing with Shelby Dollar and J.E. Peterson was called Pottenstein's Lab. Yes. And it was just us getting together and uh, uh, going over the weird things that we like, because we all like kind of spooky, odd stuff. And I think you and I might have talked about this uh, off show, the fact that uh, I've pulled back on Poddenstein's lab and we're retooling mm-hmm. because uh, podcasts are now they're they're on the radar. Yeah, they are. They're straight up there. The company that I work for bought a company that does podcasts and then bought another one. And are now really, really focusing on it, and um, with uh, with the money and the influx comes the the tightening. You know, just like first started, and it was willy nilly, and you could listen to anything coming out of any country anywhere. But then it became it, it became money oriented, and it quite honestly, as it should have. I mean, they were playing people's stuff without the rights to right. But uh, then it all tightened up. And it's the same thing with podcasting. So I went I when the uh, the lawsuits started happening about uh, plagiarism. Oh, yeah. And I realized we talked about cool stuff that was listed on websites and just chatted about and laughed and then drank beer and then laughed too much. And the we, we didn't list our sources. Right. And that's no. In today's uh, today's world. No that you shouldn't do that they'll come after you and, some, yeah yeah you know they're right we shouldn't yeah. so uh pulled back on that we're going to retool and that that whole long spiel is to lead me uh, to answer your question what's on the horizon we're going to retool um uh, Pottenstein's lab but we're going to do use it to talk about the writing process and what we've decided to do we just have to sit down and finally map out, map it out a little bit we're going to bring the audience along with us as we create an anthology from the, from the very beginning where you sit down and you hash out ideas to, uh, okay, you know, next step is writing. How are we going to edit? Let's talk about the editing process. Let's talk about what it's like to be edited, da, 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 and go through each and every step as we do a real anthology. And, uh, hopefully the episodes will be, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. You know, nothing, nothing too thick, too heavy. Right. We, we walk through and we make it real. It's not, we're not going to go, okay, let's do this and kind of fake it and already have an idea. Right. We don't, we know we're going to do an anthology. We don't know what it's about yet. 
well, it'll be in the horror category. Don't get me wrong. Right. But we don't know how we're going to theme it quite yet. And we're going to hash that out and basically, you know, show our, our, our moles and our, our scars and our warts all in it and take people along. And it's really kind of a podcast for writers and especially ones who are kind of starting out because, uh, from, from doing hell's a palooza and all expensive things I learned. I fronted all the money for the book. Oh. And it was it was a chunk of change. And, and it was mostly my fault. So um <laughs> well mostly. Listen to me hedge. It was <laughs> all my fault. It wouldn't have cost that much if I hadn't pulled the trigger too soon to hit a deadline. <laughs> uh really could have used a little more proofreading. Uh, the, okay. Oh my God. I'm I'm so dancing around that because it's horribly embarrassing. Um, the first time we printed the book, we were trying to get uh, get it out before a, uh, a, a convention, a book convention. Mm-hmm. So I pulled the trigger. I said, yep, let's print it. Go. Let's do it. Do it. And we printed it and had to do it at 48-hour uh, books, which was like you know, 14 bucks a book. Oh, wow. Which, uh, yeah, and Whoa. that was a learning thing. And I figured, well, if we could sell it at 17, and then I opened the first page in that 125 books I got, and from reading through, it's like, oh my God, what version of this went, oh my God, characters' names changed, and this and that, and I'm like, oh shit, I have uh, $1,500 here worth of crap. Oh man. And what do I do with this? And we've got this thing coming up, and I printed it for this, and it arrived like the day of the event. So really quickly, my wife being the wonderful graphic designer, she is, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. What is, uh, let's do, let's call it the shock and flaw edition. <laughs> and we made up a, a hundred name plates and everybody signed them. All the authors were there. So everybody signed it. And there were these stickers you could put into it. That was all signed by the authors, authors that said shock and flaw. And we said, basically, uh, and I, I took a hit on the price. I, you know, we sold them for like 10 bucks each. And said, look, if you buy this book, you can have this. It's a limited edition shock and flaw. And this version of this book will never, ever be printed again. And it is full of screw ups. So please don't read it. But give me your email address and I'll send you a free either PDF or um, uh, one of the one of the readers, uh, a Moby file of the book in the uh, edited cleaned up edition. And we sold them all. Brilliant. Oh, my God. You sold them all. People are really, really kind, especially when you just approach them, honestly. Uh, and I, I think it's a, again, like I said, I think it's a great book and I'm, I'm not trying to sell it. I just. Uh, no, uh, you, that's why you're here. You should. Well, that's not why, but it's it's. I want you to don't <laughs> feel like you can't. You know, listen, I got to tell you real quick. My first book, uh, you know, I, I indie myself. I had I had an editor who didn't do a great job. I went to a, my God, my lead, my listeners are going, oh, God, I've heard this story, but I'll just tell you real quick. <laughs> I went to I got asked to like a, a, a book club and there's all these lovely ladies who are drinking wine and they read the book. And like one of them was really angry. She goes, there are three typos in this book i went three typos and three? I was, three three yeah oh my god she would she'd be four foot in the grave <laughs> if she read this. that shock and flaw would have killed this oh, poor woman yeah 
Yeah. Oh. But I was so mortified, just like you are. I know I could sense oh, yeah, it. You, you, know, I, you uh, know what I did? So I hired a different editor and I did a revised vision. And so what I did after that, like you did, you got to make hay, right? So I just yeah. said, who wants this limited edition, rare first edition? There's some mistakes in it. I'll autograph it for you. I sold most of them. I've got one or two left. Out, out of, but I. But my difference <laughs> is, is I, I got in where I didn't have to, I didn't buy, I didn't lay in like a huge amount for a, a big a big uh, like a book fair or show you know i had i had a, a yeah. stock of them but not huge and nowadays of course with pod with amazon you just you just it's it's just as they're they're ordered so i don't even worry about that unless i'm going to a book signing or something like that and i don't know about you but i'm kind of done with book signings they they wear me out but it's, anyway i hit that that was in 2012 that came out and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 2016 was the last year that i just i was hitting everything going through just oh my god and i know it's only four years but it was four years of planning your weekends and every extra dime i made with uh magnificent calic media to go into uh buying the uh, the tables at the events and oh, selling yeah. books and and planning all my vacation time around that and i i love the books loved uh, it was so cool meeting all these people and doing all these kind of insider things but it just you know you go to these cool events and you're in the background you're you're selling you're not there to be at the event right and i'm like i would have never actually gone to this if i hadn't been selling and i want to go to this and damn i can't right. <laughs> I'm, I'm behind the table uh and one of the about selling you know because we uh, i've gone to crypticon and planet comic-con i've gone out of state to some cons and this and that one of the places that i sold the most books weirdly enough just out of blue it, I can't remember the name of the uh, the book series. There were like three of them, and it was about dragons and stuff. It was some kid that wrote it when he was 16, and his mom and dad thought so much of the book, they hired a, a, a proofreader and editor to kind of help with it. And then they took about a year sabbatical, and they and their kid went around and just did their best to sell that book at every fair, every oh this, every that. They just weekend after weekend. And it ended up being bought and turned into a movie, and the kid made millions of dollars, and it was pretty awesome. Oh. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try one of these little fairs. And there's a place called the Sugar Mound Arts and Crafts Festival. Uh, this year being 2019, it will be, I believe, October 12th and 13th. I won't be there as a seller, but it's in it's in Mound City, Kansas, and is this little fair that can. I, I went in there. I set up my table, and I've got this banner that has skulls and books in it. It says dark fiction from six feet under the Midwest. Right. Little table, my little skulls and displays, and I got my books piled up. And I did I did a, a, a fair in Excelsior Springs, and I had like five people ask me if I worship Satan. It was the most bizarre experience. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. It was really weird. Um, down in Mount City, I'm stuck between this lady that's about 200 years old that's doing these personalized uh, Christmas ornaments. And on my other side is an older, uh, obviously, Kansas couple, uh, you know, apparently just got off the tractor and came to the Mount City Fair. And they welded together uh, these copper, you know, nails and this and that into windmills and crosses and horse heads and stuff. Huh. And across the way is a sensi lady. And here I am, you know, with Satan and death and skulls in between all these really sweet people. <laughs> I sold every book I had but one. Are you kidding? I sold out. And I went down there. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to sell much. I'll just give it a shot. I was, it was very cost effective. And so I brought a stack of 10 of this and I had 11 of that and la, la, la. And I sold everything but one book. 
And so uh, every year until uh, until this year, uh, I've gone down there and sold and, and bought my, you know, goat soap and the, and the occasional. <laughs> what was it uh, again? What was it called again? I've seen the picture on your website. What was it oh, called again? Uh, Sugar Mound Arts and Crafts Festival. Sugar Mound. Uh, my goodness, you know, because I'm trying to identify once a year where I can take my series. I've got a, you know, a seven book series and it's mystery thriller and all that and maybe just go and do what you did i'm looking at your picture this is great look at you you're this is this is great i'll if it's okay i'm gonna use this picture in the show notes if, if it's all right with you yeah just just to kind of stretch it make me look thin <laughs> dude if i can't if, if i can't not that much photoshop in the world <laughs> if i can't do it for me i don't know if i can do it for you uh, but uh, no, but so that's fascinating. And, you know, and so all the writers and uh, fans of writers who listen to this show, we they love, I know this, they love this kind of story about, uh, you know, the kind of, I call the guerrilla warfare of trying to sell books. And I've just, I don't know. I, I didn't do, I have not done one of these. I've done a lot of actual like bookstores, three or four different cities. And uh, I've sold a few books, but mostly I just kind of sat there and felt really, really humble. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a PR guy by profession, so I could not drum up anything. And I just got to a point where I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because I had people who would just kind of walk up to me and ask me, you know, where to find the James Patterson, for God's sake. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? I'm like, I'm doing a really? signing for my books. I don't know where James Patterson is. Well, what good are you? One lady said to me. So, Oh, I, good Lord. I, I, you should have pointed him to the self-help book. Uh, Patterson's <laughs> over there between how to not be a jerk <laughs> and I need to learn better personal skills. <laughs> yeah, right up uh, with the uh, the book club uh, lady who who <laughs> apparently was just having a really bad day and took it out on me. Um, but you know, wine will do that. So um, this is great. I I can already tell I'm going to have you back because we're going to have to talk about this. But I, I I would be remiss at this time of year if we didn't talk a little oh, yes. bit about haunted. Kansas City area are are there some are there some interesting things that you know about or that your travels have uh, you've run across that are related to Halloween and this area oh, of the world absolutely one I would recommend um, there's a wonderful lady out of Topeka um, who wrote a book about twenty I, you and I talked about this also before the show she wrote a book I think twenty two years ago that is still being referenced today in various podcasts, etc. It's called Haunted Kansas. Yes. Ghost Stories and Other Eerie Tales by Lisa Hefner Heights. And I highly recommend it because Lisa does a great job. It's not one of those uh, books where they're they're trying to spook you and and telling these kind of BS stories. Uh, she pretty much tells the stories as they were told to her and adds in some factual stuff about the areas, etc. It's It's really cool. And definitely get that, you know, and she does touch on like the Stoll Cemetery, which is ugh. Um, this, not one of my it's spooky. Sure. But cemeteries are spooky by nature. And those kind of eh, I'm, I'm not that into those. Uh, Belvoir Winery and Inn oh. is a uh, is a wonderful place with a very odd vibe. Uh, some beautiful parts of it. He, people have weddings out there, etc. But then you get into some of the other parts, especially when it was, I think, was it uh, Internet? I oof. Uh, the Oddfellows. Right. It was a home and they still have uh, one of those glass coffins from the I oof gathering that's got us. And it has really, really odd vibes mm. and is a very cool place to go. Uh, the the Warnell House Museum. Oh, yeah. Is also haunted and uh, is a, a pretty cool place to stop by and check out. Oh, uh, St. Joe, the Glore Psychiatric Museum. 
which uh, by the time that uh, this hit this airs, they may or may not have. They pro- they probably will already have had their spend the night at the Glor Museum. Hmm. And we we did that as Poddenstein's lab and recorded a podcast in the uh, the room where they they have a little morgue, and then next to it is the autopsy room. Yeah. So we recorded our podcast at the autopsy room and then slept there that night. Ooh. Uh, and it's it, it's a it's such a fun experience, especially I think it was Apex. Uh, is the name of the the ghost hunting slash uh, investigation group that came down. There's a, an Apex group here in Kansas City, Paranormal Investigations, and also one out of uh, uh, Iowa. And they conducted the investigation, did a great job, and it just the overall vibe of it was wonderful. And then there were people who, of course, said that they had experiences. And you, you when you sit down and you talk about what was experienced, that's pretty cool. And to know that this place was actually a an insane asylum, as, as they used to be called, uh, is just uh, it's it's a learning experience, and also the overnight thing is just a cool experience if you're into you know uh, dark tourism. You can let's see uh, that was Glore with its uh, amazing and weird history. If you uh, you go up north, Plattsburgh, Missouri is wonderful. I love that place. We almost bought a house there when we moved here back uh, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a hard choice. The and the place, uh, okay, I'll I'll tell the story. It was uh, please. This, I think it's a gingerbread. It's the one that's painted every color under the sun with the little uh. wheels and things on the outside of the house. You know, the most god awful thing you could ever do to somebody who has to repaint that house. It's uh, and it was built in 1889. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful house had been empty for like two and a half years. My wife and I went there to look at it because I love old houses, and I'm like, oh my god, this is in our price range. Look, here, this the central air is crap, and it's got radiators. So what? Oh my god! And my wife was her eyeballs were trying to crawl out of her head because they had redone the house in all the original colors of the era. So you've got every wallpaper under the sun with multiple designs. You've got designs going across the ceiling, and every room is different. Even those wonderful sliding pocket doors, you open it up, and you're like, oh, oh, my head, my brain. And she was, there's no way she could have lived in it. <laughs> but we, we went upstairs, three bedrooms upstairs, and there was this middle room, and I'm, I'm I don't know, I, I'm a, you could call me an uh, an atheist who's afraid of the dark, or, uh, <laughs> uh, because there's all, there's all this stuff that I'm like, oh, it could be. I'm I'm very agnostic. I'm actually not an atheist, but I'm very agnostic about it. Uh, but I do get you know oh, goosebumps and this and that. We go up into the the upper bedrooms, the middle one. I I kind of broke out in goose flesh, and I swear to you, my holy, I was like, there's there's a presence here, hmm. and it's a woman. And she's lonely. Oh. Empty, and I was probably just picking up some, you know, artist-y vibe about, oh, the poor lonely house with its empty eyes looking upon the street. No, it just this this room was, it. I felt this. And so we walked around it, talked with the uh, realtor for a bit, and then she and I, uh, my wife and I left. And as we were driving, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and I, and I said, you know, hey, sweetie, what'd you think? And she's like, oh, my God, that wallpaper, it's going to kill me. And we <laughs> talked a bit in the kitchen. It's its two inches tall. It's horrible. And 
I said, what do you think of the, about that, uh, the upstairs, the especially that middle room that looked out over the street? And she said, oh, the haunted room? <gasps> and then, you know, bam, goosebumps. I'm like, you felt something? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's a woman. I'm like, what? No way. And she's like, yeah, she's not mean or anything, but she wants people to live there. And I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, that is exactly what I felt. So uh, um, I did end up going up there uh, several years later and talked to the people who, who bought the house. And they were like, I don't even remember what they did, but uh, very, very nice people. And I asked them about, like, the, did they ever feel any present? Nothing. Maybe it was just happy and didn't, didn't need to be present anymore. But there's a house around the corner called the Pink Rosebud Bed and Breakfast. I uh, hope it's still functioning. Two years ago, a friend of mine and I stayed there. This is, again, Plattsburgh. And we, um, he was helping me sell books at a, uh, at a motorcycle rally. Uh, you know, <laughs> that was such a hot, sweaty fail. But uh, <laughs> it was horrible. Very nice people. It was just horrible. So uh, we, we decided not to go back the next day because these intense thunderstorms were moving in and there's no way my, uh, my tent thing would have survived there. So we packed it all up in my truck. We went back to the Pink Rosebud Bed and Breakfast, and he and I have been friends since we were 18. And we sat and we're drinking, you know, Rieger's whiskey down in downstairs, the little thing, and nobody else was there but us. And I'm like, okay, this big, huge, you know, 5,000, 6,000 square foot house, and it's just us, this edifice. Let's do this. So, you know, I was trying to raise spirits. Spirit, are you there? Blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't believe any of that crap, and it's just giving me so much trouble. We finally went up to one of the upstairs bedrooms and, and there's like six of them and they're all and I'm getting kind of some GBs, but we started taking pictures and nothing was coming out. It was too dark. And he took his camera, set it for like 10 seconds and it was just a it was just black 20 seconds. There's a little bit of a light blob and we're looking into this bedroom where we're taking these shots and there's just the light from the street on the, the bed and the bed posts and the bedspread. And he sets his camera for 30 second exposure. Mm-hmm. Let's it set, and you can kind of see there's something there, and we're like, ah, this sucks. <laughs> let's let's go get some rest. So we did. Well, about a week later, he emails me and he says, Mark, you know, I don't believe in this crap, and I'm not saying it is, and I'm not saying it isn't, but take a look at this. And in the picture of the 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 bedspread, etc., he's like, I didn't touch this up at all. And he's like, see what you think. And I'm looking at this, and I look, there's a face. Oh, my. Right there. And supposedly the place is haunted by a little girl, uh, a woman. There's an older man and two cats. And now the uh, I, I actually interviewed the previous owner, uh, John Sr., about uh, the ghosts that were in there. And then John passed away. His son says that his father is there oh, wow. in the house. And oh, that uh, occasionally they'll smell cigarette smoke out of nowhere. And, and John Sr., well, that was part of his demise sure. was his chain smoking and uh, and they still catch him there. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. All of this stuff is it's all over uh, Kansas, Missouri. Uh, one of the funnest things is just scratching the surface. If you go to places, go to these small towns, you can't be too blunt about it. Like, hey, do you know any ghosts and spooky things? <laughs> but if you talk to folks and just treat it respectfully and, and you know, I, I, I did that. Uh, oh, down in Ottawa, Kansas. Yeah. Went there, uh, and as a matter of fact, funny thing, it was the same butt of mine. Uh, he's so used to me being an idiot, uh, he can handle it. <laughs> we were at an antique store, and I was talking to them about this and that, and about, you know, haunted blah, blah, blah. 
And they said, well, actually, we heard the municipal auditorium's haunted. Really? Yeah, there's laid it down to the, uh, uh, what was it, the, uh, the, the train state, the depot museum. And she might know something about it. And I'm like, we are on this. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in. So we went down, and eventually the story came out. Honest to God, I'll shut up. The, um, <laughs> the municipal auditorium in Ottawa is haunted. And what had happened was a, uh, a gentleman right after World War I, oh, I've blinked on his name, uh, and he's buried in, in the, cemetery, the big cemetery in Ottawa. He came back, and he was damaged from the war right. and was not dealing with it well. And that the following fall, after the end of World War One, he uh, they they built the the municipal auditorium kind of in honor of the World War One vets, the ones who came home and the ones we lost. Right. And he snuck in because at that time the place wasn't heated, so in the winter they just shut it down. He broke in, went up into there's a room underneath the upper seating level, and hung himself in the rafters there. Oh my! Now. Nobody knew where he'd gone. Nobody knew. They figured he'd just blown town. And uh, that next spring, they're opening it all back up, etc. And they start having shows there. And they start noticing in the... <laughs> I'm sorry, this is kind of gross. They start noticing in the concession stand, there's just this odor. Je ne sais quoi that just drifts every once in a while. And finally, somebody went up above that and happened to go into the, the space under the seating upstairs, the, uh, the balcony seats, and they found what was left of him. And oh. uh, so they, they interred him. Uh, now, the twist of that story, you're like, oh, okay, I, you know, that did happen. That's a verifiable fact uh, of history that this guy did this here. But what makes it quite so spooky? Well, the lady that was at this uh, depot, I talked to her, and she had worked there as a 20-something uh, back in the very early 70s. And she worked there at nights doing bookkeeping for them. And she said all the time the place was locked down, every door was locked, but she would hear footsteps. She would hear pe people going up and down the stairs, and no one was there. She would hear doors slam. And then... <laughs> Uh, they had a performance there by the amazing Kreskin. Oh, was, uh, Kreskin? There, speaking of Canada, hello, Canada. Uh, <laughs> he's up in Canada still doing his thing. And the amazing Kreskin did a performance there. And at the end of his performance, one of his stopper, he, would ha he had somebody who worked for the place where he did his show. They would hide his check somewhere in the auditorium. And through his amazing powers of mindfulness... He would find it, and that's how he got paid. Well, she got pegged with hiding the check in the auditorium, right? Uh-huh. Problem was, she was young, and when they said auditorium, what's the name of the place? It's the Ottawa Municipal Auditorium. She didn't think about it needed to be out in the audience where they'd get to watch it. She took that and slid it under the door <laughs> of that upstairs balcony room, you know? She's like, okay, bring it. Be amazing, Kreskin. <laughs> and so they got to the end of the show. They li He lines up all the workers as kind of a thank you. They're on the stage with him. And he's like, okay, through my prognosticating, blah, blah, blah. And he's kind of thinking. And then he goes down in the audience. And then he walks out of the audience. And it's several minutes. And so people are starting to talk. They're getting bored. They're looking around. He comes back down. And he's got the paycheck and, and the envelope. And he harangues them 
in front of these. Like, this is the biggest thing, and you hit it in a blah, blah, blah. I can't stupid to do this, yada, yada. He was just furious. And one of his last statements before he walked off was, and, you know, you hit it in that room up under the balcony. I, nobody got to see it. And I don't know why you have all of those coffins in there, but you are weird people, and I will never be back. And off he went. Oh, my God. There were, there were no coffins in that room. And uh, uh, I actually uh, I interviewed him about that. No way. I, I chatted with him. Now, you got to remember that uh, uh, the amazing Kreskin has been amazing for a lot of years. Uh-huh. And being amazing is his game <laughs> and how he's made a living. So, of course, he remembered it. Uh, yeah, Ottawa, Kansas. You bet. But um, he uh, he did. It was interesting talking to him about, you know, the psychic impressions and the feelings that are left, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, putting it all together, these these stories, these little pieces are all around us. Oh, so you, you've got the big chunks. You can talk to people about uh, the various places that claim to be haunted. And as every every bed and breakfast is haunted. Right. As long as you're a paying guest. So, um <laughs> Well, every single one. Well, speaking of that, really quickly, I was going to tell you. So, I uh, years ago, uh, and I'm quite into this, just as you are. Uh, my wife and I went and uh, stayed at the Tuck U Inn in Atchison, Kansas. <laughs> right, oh, Atchison, Atchison, haunted Atchison. Right, okay, across the street from the Sally House. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is the place that you were at, was that that big kind of German-looking one, real pretty? It, yeah. It, it used to be like story? the former governor's house. It's uh, the, Glick, okay. the Glick Mansion, and it's now called okay, the, yes. the, the Tuck You Inn. And so the <laughs> Sally House, which, I, of course, I had watched sightings back in the day. I'd watched yeah. uh, Unsolved Mysteries. I knew what the Sally House was, and I told my wife, I said, oh, my God, we are across the street from the Sally We're going to go, and we're going to go see the Sally House. And... Yeah. Right. Have you been to the Sally? First of all, I'll ask you, have you been to the Sally house, Mark? Yes. I, uh, a couple of guys I was outside and they were, it was pre tour and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is a Sally house, right? And they're like, yeah, sure. Burr, 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 burr. You want to come in and take a look? You're darn tootin' I am. And, uh, it was really boring on the inside, but then he played for me the <laughs> EVPs that he'd caught. And I'm like, oh. okay, thank you. Okay, so here, so real quick, I'll just, so we went and took this, we were the only ones that showed up and there was just a couple, like I could just tell from your characterization, we had the same people who showed us in. We paid a few bucks. <laughs> we're wandering around. Yeah. And the worst thing that happened to me was I got a very bad headache from the mold in the house. I mean, oh, yeah. right away. But but we went upstairs. We went to the, the all these rooms. Well, okay, so just real quick. Uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts is Astonishing Legends. Don't know if you've heard it, but uh, Scott uh, Scott and Forrest, uh, it's a pretty big show the past couple of years. They do really long episodes, like two or three hour episodes. They're the they're the, the exception to short episodes and still be successful. But anyway, they they came to town, and I, I couldn't because we were moving that weekend. I was going to meet them and and just introduce myself and or because we kind of I'd supported them early with my with my Twitter and, and my stuff and just been a good friend of their show when they were just starting out so I thought oh, I'll meet the guys but I couldn't go so I said well if you're going to be in Atchison for they're going to Atchison for the Amelia Earhart days and I said well if you're in town oh, yeah. go to the Sally house and they said oh well, that's on our list and I said okay great and so I waited and I heard their show I didn't get to meet them because we were moving so I got I heard their show well they went and they talked about visiting the house and scott one of them he did an evp in the nursery room in the in the in the playroom the upstairs right and it was so much that he and i think scott's a decent normal 
uh, honest guy. He was so moved by it's it scared him so badly what was played back on the EVP. He thought there were true spirits, Ooh. not just talking to him, but screaming at him and being. Oh, wow. And he played it. And it's scary as hell. It's Astonishing Legends, folks. If you haven't heard this, go look it up and then just look for the Sally House in the Atchison, Kansas. So I got to ask you, Mark. So you've heard some EVPs yourself from the Sally. He, yeah, he uh, shared them. And it was it was fascinating. He had several of them, both he and uh, the, the other guy doing the tour. Uh, they were both. Uh, I don't think they were faking their belief. Right. In that uh, this definitely happened. And uh, it was uh, it was really, uh, you know, it was it, that was eye opening or ear opening, as it were. And then there's a cultural anthropology teacher at JCCC. And feel free to look him up. He's just a super guy. We had him on Poddenstein's lab and, you know, we were supposed to do a 45 minute episode. And now we're like, OK, we got to we got to wrap this because you're, you're really interesting. and I love everything you're talking about. He uh, he does paranormal investigations. But he does it from a really, really science. Well, how do I put it? Both a scientific view with uh, with high skepticism mm -hmm. over, uh, and he, he'll go to people's houses. He's been involved in exorcisms, and uh, and the things that we talked about were amazing. And one of the things he discussed was the Sally House, and the uh, he has film that he's shown. He's done presentations at uh, what a Prairie Fire Museum. Uh huh. Uh, etc. And he's a very unassuming man. Very unassuming. There's there's no, you know, theatrics to him at all. But he'll talk straightforward to you and, and straight honest. And he showed some of the videos that they had taken of toys moving by themselves and sounds and this and that right there in the Sally house. So there's there's if the the part of me that is not so sick, skeptical definitely believes there's something going on there. What it is, I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know. But I and I bought Sally House. As a matter of fact, I've got it right here, the Sally House haunting. <laughs> and um, you, you know, it's uh, uh it's quite the book. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've waded through quite a bit of it and gone, ah, okay. Yeah. Well, come on, let's all say it. I thought it was horseshit. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, it was that book is just terrible. It's terrible. But, and and but when I went there, sorry to interrupt you, but when I went there, I was disappointed that nothing. Now I didn't do an EVP. I didn't think to record anything. I just yeah. walked around. I went in the basement. I did the whole thing. My wife's just like, oh my god, what? She she. My wife's very game, like yours. I think she's oh, sure, yeah. she's she's tolerates it, but. To a point and, and and i was like okay and i was like yeah the molds give me a headache in here and but nothing happened so then i hear scott and even his partner his buddy on the his co-host forrest was like i didn't hear anything and he listened to the evps and he's like and i think as i recall it right he was like skeptical he's like uh i don't disbelieve you saw heard something and feel something from this but it's not bothering me and and that's kind of where i am i'm just like i i don't know see because you said you you kind of made a statement of belief you said look i'm fairly agnostic as, as am I. And so yeah. I'm thinking, okay, but I get weird feelings in certain places, got to admit. Yes. There are creepy shit, there are creepy things, and there's creepy shit I've seen and heard in my life. But then you have to sit there and go, okay, wait a minute. Well, if I don't really believe there's something beyond this veil, then what is this? So wondering, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but I'm just so curious before <laughs> we wrap up here. Do you, do you, you must know the answers, Mark. What is it? What do you think it is? Uh, I think it's the great mystery. Uh, the, uh, 
you know, one of the things that I find comfort in being an agnostic, you're like, well, it could be, but you're just not convinced. Yeah. Um, one of the things I take comfort in, uh, not having an, an, a full-fledged belief system, is the idea that where was I before I was here? Yeah, hmm. I exist right now. Where right. was I before that? Right. You know, and if if I was somewhere before I arrived here, where am I going to go? Cool. There's a there's another adventure uh, in my. If you really dig down deep, let's scratch beyond the surface. There's another place to be. Right. And um, you know, there from what I you know I I took a what was it a a year and a half of graduate work in philosophy at, at Mizzou uh, back in the late 80s. I'm sorry, to interrupt you. I, you, you cut out for just a second. Did you say it was Jesuit work? I didn't I didn't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Graduate work. Graduate work. Okay. Uh, in philosophy at uh, Mizzou and uh, back in the very late 80s, very early 90s. And because uh, radio is uh, the herpes of career choices, <laughs> you you will get out of it. And then it just breaks out again, and you have to you have to do more radio. Yeah. And so I had an idea, uh, kind of a pipe dream of being a uh, philosophy professor, and I'm just I'm not that smart. Plus, I was really looking kind of for an answer, and I rather found it uh, through the classes. And I'm like, okay, I, oh. I don't really need to do this anymore. Oh wow. But in looking at uh, philosophy and, and the ideas, there, there's people with the weight systems for uh, W E I G H T. As in, well, you've done all this, so you're going to be beaten up for this, and this burns, and everyone else, and or you can choose not to want anything, and that will give you a light enlightenment, and I can, so you just become a rock, and that's, I, um, I like to think that I've, I've got more waiting, and it is, I have no clue, and just like you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow, yeah. you have no clue. Right. You have expectations, and you can make plans, but you know, shit, a, a left turn in the wrong lane can can take all that away. So I kind of figure, well, with that much chance and that much, you know, the fact that I'm I'm here, I I really think there's more. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> well, and I'm with you, and I like, love that. Because the salamander, I don't know. Well, you, you know, that's <laughs> and that kind of ties it back to our thesis here on Halloween. It, so does that inform your love of Halloween? at all just the idea that there there there's a potentially gruesome um <laughs> something beyond this or 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 not i don't know Th to me halloween just represents the as you said the great mystery well i i yeah it it's part of the fascination with uh, let's be honest fascination with death yeah is that uh at least for me is that um i'm always kind of looking for that little bit of proof to say absolutely Okay, there really, really, really is something else. It's not just a, a reverse, an echo, a, a, a psychic or energy impression left on something, you know, like your dad's fart in the couch. It's <laughs> just, it's something, you know, something solid to, to hang your hat on. Right. And the thing is, I'm going to shit myself if I ever find it. If I, if I open my eyes at some point in bed and there's something hovering over me, I... I will scream like the smallest girl on Lassie. <laughs> it will be shrieking. And once I get over it, I think I'll be okay. But, uh, you know, when, once I get that evidence, what the hell am I going to do with it? <laughs> it's, it's so it's fun. I'm with you. It's so You know, my, my mother had told a story. She had a dream 
uh, one night. She was very close to her grandmother. She had a dream, and her grandmother was in the dream beckoning her and pointing to a drawer at her desk and just kept pointing at this drawer. And then uh, that night, the phone rang in, in the middle of the night and woke her up, and it was somebody telling her that her grandmother had passed away. Yeah. And then by the time my mom got her wits about her and went over to grandmother's house, somebody had apparently ransacked the drawers of the desk. So, so you just, you know, I don't know if that's true. I don't remember if I'm, if I'm embroidering that story, but she told me that story, but I just, I, I, I am in love with the notion, the romanticism of people uh, who have crossed the, through the, through the veil to the other side, if there is one and, and they still can't let go. Um, that that they still have to they're still like you said is it just uh, is it an echo is it a fart in the couch is it or is it they they just can't let go of this life and and they won't let go and they can't move on for unfinished business whatever that may be it fascinates me and I think Halloween is such a great uh, wonderful celebration of that great mystery and I. Oh my gosh, I hate to do this because I'm loving this conversation and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And Absolutely. Mark Groves, I got to have you back on the show. And uh, um, But uh, I, I think I got to wrap this one up, but I, I'd, I'd like to just say, uh, so if people want to learn more about you and uh, Magnificent Cadillac and where to get your books, where do they need to go? Uh, for the books, I would probably go to Amazon and just look up Magnificent Cowlick Media. You know, spend 10 minutes typing that stupid name for my company. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, once your fingers uncramp, uh, you'll find all the books there. And that way you, you can order, you know, your uh, Cuisinart along with a few books and get the free shipping. <laughs> and, uh, and it comes in both, uh, you know, paperback. You can get the hardbacks. Or uh, paperbacks, you can get hard, an actual physical version of it, right. or the uh, uh, the electronic version. Um, and if it's actually, <laughs> if for some unknown reason you want to find out more about me, uh, you can go to magnificentcowlickmedia.com. I also uh, on Facebook, I have Magnificent Cowlick Media both. Uh, the company thing and then magnificent cowlick media books where i have a tendency to post the occasional kind of weird spooky stuff that i find and i'll be honest that has a tendency to be uh, a little on the humorous side cool because there's just so many weird funny things out there in the world and on the dark side and of course you know you can contact me through that any of those my phone number and all the stuff is on there and uh, I do, I do have a little site on Square Up where I, I am willing to ship the books out, and that means at least one author, probably me, uh, will end up signing it. Nice. Uh, your easiest is probably through Amazon. Is uh, there a mailing list to get on, or would you say just get it with Facebook, and that's the best way to be updated when, say, when Podden's Stein's lab oh, comes yeah. back and all that is, is absolutely it... Pottenstein's lab. I do have a Facebook page. I've got a, a big graphic of closed uh, right now because we're going through the retooling, but absolutely uh, check uh, Pottenstein's lab is available there. And I do still have uh, uh, Pottenstein's lab uh, on. If you go to Stitcher, I do still have currently the older episodes there. I'll be taking them out at some point. It was just, you know, that's a year and a half of work and it's really hard to let go of. And there's so many wonderful people that we talked to. We interviewed several authors uh, and and then like the guy from JCCC, 
uh, we interviewed. There's some wonderful people there, and it's really hard to uh, uh, to let that go right now. But as we retool, what I'll probably end up doing is is taking those interview chunks and turning those into standalones. Nice. And, uh, letting people download those because th- they were so wonderful from talking about uh, Burke and Hare, the murderers. Right. Uh, uh, cannibalism and a guy that wrote a rather slightly humorous book that's about cannibalism in the animal world. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm reading and going to review a book by a guy named Caitlin Doty, who uh, is uh, part of a, uh, a group that's all about uh, the order of the good death. And she is a, uh, a mortician. But she just does these wonderful videos about uh, different aspects of death and, and all the related uh, stuff in the world about death. And the name of her new book is Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Oh, <laughs> it's a kid's book. It's got all these little facts and and it's just adorable. So all these people that we've gotten to talk to and have, you know, given their time and, and let us uh, chat about their books uh, that I do want to save. So that's still available. And then you can listen to our podcast from the Glore Psychiatric Museum and, and they do your Halloween stuff. Woo! <laughs> I like that. Hey, quick, quick lightning round. This is just quick, quick answers okay. real quick before we go. Okay. Favorite Halloween movie that you watch, that you watch the most every Halloween? Uh, every Halloween, um, I, I kind of, I'm a big fan of zombies. Uh, Resident Evil, uh, is it Extinction? I believe it was the the one where she's kind of in the desert. Uh, and just, that is so awesome. The rest of them kind of suck, but that one's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and just today, it's my new favorite. I saw it in the theaters and didn't like it then, but it's grown on me. Uh, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Ooh. And if you never want to be disappointed, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is fantastic. Fantastic. I, I have to agree with you on Tucker and Dale for sure. Okay. Uh, although, you know, you know I, I kind of almost expected you, because I think we're close to the same age, to say something like Phantasm. Or, but you know, know, I have some guilty pleasures from the eighties, but they're not my strongest suit. (laughs) Uh, I got all of the nightmare on Elm streets because Walmart came out with like the super cheap ones. Oh man. And and so I bought the four discs and I'm watching those going, you did not age well. (laughs) (laughs) No. Although the, what is it? The dream team one where they were all in the psychiatric ward fighting, uh, Uh. Freddie. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. You know, it's like all the oh my god, you you wanted lightning rounds. I'll shut up anyway. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. there you go. Okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> no, dude, this is what I love about having you on. Besides yours or anybody you know, just a favorite kind of novel that people have heard of out there. That's your favorite Halloween novel or short story that, as far as reading goes, that the people that you direct people to. You know, um, well, it's cliche, but I'll, I'll say it out loud. The abridged version of The Stand ah. by Stephen King, I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Now, the unabridged version that's, you know, more Stephen King. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, you know, he well, if you liked Maximum Overdrive, then you get some <laughs> Maximum Overdrive moments in what was previously a brilliant uh, book, in, in my humble opinion. I loved the original stand because it was so character driven. Yeah. You got to know these people so well and you cared for most of them. Right. And the people that you didn't like were still well-rounded and had aspects to them to where you could, you could almost relate to them before they turned into these gooey horrors. Um, just wonder if there's, I, 
I finally found uh, at Half Price Books, and I paid the six bucks for a beat-to-crap version of that just so I could have it and read it again. That was about a year ago. Oh, nice. And I'm so happy. And, and uh, that... You know, that that one would probably be my best one. There's so much good. Uh, if you look around uh, and, you know, to tout for the indies, uh, there's there's really good horror out there. There's a, um, oh, uh, zombies, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, uh, is a wonderful anthology oh. of, uh, of zombie uh, stories. And some of them that just surprised me and delighted me. And the book's probably six years old, seven years old. But it's a rather large, uh, John Skip, I believe is the name of the editor, rather lar large compendium and anthology, and just a delight. I like it. Okay, last question, and this is a serious deal, because Kansas City is one of those markets where, and you may be like, oh, I don't do this, but I just want to check. One of these markets where they have a lot of really good quality haunted houses, and I don't mean the the real ones. I mean like the ones you pay to go into and get oh, scared. Yeah. You know, like the 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 edge of hell and the beasts and all that. Do, do you go to those first of all, With, real quick, uh, and second of all, do you have a favorite? Uh, you know what? I actually i. I, I've walked through them talking with the people who owned them before. Yeah. I have not gone to them as their own experience because they're so packed and so full. Uh, I, I just don't. I like going to the real haunted places. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, I've tried to find the Joplin spook light. Uh, <laughs> my best friend from college, he lived with Jop, uh, in Miami, Oklahoma. So he used to go oh, and see yeah. this. He's seen the spook lights. He's seen it. He yeah. saw it for real. Dude, it is. My mom, I, we even did an episode called, uh, there was a 13 Nights of Halloween Frights for Radio Disney that we did back in 1999, and it was 13 stories, and one of them, I adapted a story that my mother told me from when she was in her very early 20s from an extremely close-up encounter with the uh, the Joplin spook, like the basketball-sized orb of light that and it was, you know, their friends screaming and la la la, and she's all trying to think into it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, the the Hornet slash Joplin spook light is an amazing phenomena. It is unfortunate that it really doesn't happen much. so built out. Yeah, uh, out there, it's uh, you know you don't have that long stretch of road anymore just by itself. And also, the people that own what few stretches are there really don't like you parking on their land. Yeah. F <laughs> things change. Yeah, sadly, things change. And even, you know what, gentrification even affects the paranormal. It's just terrible. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, Mark Groves, I listen, man, seriously, I hope this has been as fun for you as it has been for me. And I oh, what a yes, I've really enjoyed this. What a treat for our listeners to hear from a legit, not only aficionado <laughs> of Halloween, but I. <laughs> But but a great a writer and a producer and a guy who who gets it and is really enjoyable and uh, so you've got all the information by the way check the show notes for a little bit more uh, and again thank you Mark and I'll just close we started with little Ray Bradbury from the Halloween Tree and I'll just close with this quick one which is hold the dark holiday in your palms bite it swallow it and survive come out the far black tunnel of El Dia de Merte and be glad, ah, oh, so glad you are alive. All right. This has been fun. Thanks again to Mark Groves. I'm Alex Greenwood, your host. Uh, you've been listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget to check us out. Uh, the MGOPod.com website for the uh, complete list and back issues and show notes and all that stuff. Um, got a new book coming on Halloween, Pilots, uh, 
Well, I can say it now. I think by the time this is out, the uh, cover reveal and the new title, Pilot's Shadow, will be out. It'll be part of a a special package that'll be re-released for the 10th anniversary of the John Pilot Mysteries. So get... Just go and look for the paperback on Amazon of Pilot's Rose, and tucked into there is Pilot's Shadow, a new novella that I've just tucked into that book for a special 10th anniversary edition. So please check that out on Halloween, and uh, let me know what you think about that. Okay, again, it's been such a treat. I hope to be back before Halloween, but if I don't, have a good, happy time on Halloween, and just enjoy the changing of the seasons and being alive, as Ray Bradbury said. The chill of the air, the smell of the bonfire, and the glow of the jack-o'-lantern. Until next time, keep reading. Hey, listeners, Alex Greenwood here with Mysterious Goings On, and you're listening to us on the Alexa skill, as well as a special little bonus mention here in our feed. Just wanted to let you know, we got Mark Groves with us. Hi, Mark. Hello, Alex. Mark is the author of uh, Hell's a Palooza, the best damn rock show ever. Uh, I wrote the novel part, and then one of the short stories along with uh, in the anthology in Chapter 5, along with six other uh, great Kansas City area writers. And how about this? Because I know once you listen to Mark's interview on Mysterious Goings On, you're going to want to read this. And Mark is a sweetheart of a guy, as you can already tell, and he's going to make it easy for you. And so here's what we're going to do. Mark is ponying up a, ver- a copy of an autograph. Is it an autograph copy? How are we doing this, Mark? It will be, you darn tootin'. An autograph copy of Hell's a Palooza, the best damned rock show ever. Yeah, and this is an epic. Um, you know, if it brings to mind uh, Stephen King's short story, they, and they got a hell of a band, that's fine. But I have a feeling it's better because I don't know if that's you. I've read that story; it's okay. I, I think this is going to be better, and I'm looking forward to this. I've got a copy on my Kindle, but Mark has been so kind, and he's been such a great guest. And we're going to offer up an autographed copy for a lucky winner. Rather than tell you all the rules right here and now, I want you to go to mgopod.com, just scroll down and to the show notes, and you'll see something. It'll be the book cover for Hells of Palooza, and just click on that, and it'll give you all the rules to enter, and we'll just take it from there. Does that sound good, Mark? Oh, perfect. Let's do it. All right. Everybody have a great Halloween, and we'll <laughs> talk to you soon, and good luck on winning this fantastic book. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill. Plus, take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed and together we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. T-Mobile has been building America's largest 5G network for this epic 5G moment. Introducing the new iPhone 12 Pro. Now at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Download, upload, and game at 5G speed in more places. Unleash the power of iPhone 12 Pro with T-Mobile. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com.